Today's text is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. We did go over verse 1 and 2 last week. Anyway, I'm just going to include those just so we can sort of hit the ground running and just go with it. Let's read the text. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of cord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for, its, for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is one of the most powerful texts in the scripture. We see so much here. We see a lot about who Jesus is, and we are also taught how Jesus wants us to live. Personally, this scripture has been uh, very impacting in my life. A couple of years ago, I was uh, reading the scripture it started speaking about the humility of Christ. And out of my own ignorance, I started to ask the Lord. I said, God, I know that I have a lot of weaknesses, but I really don't think that pride is one of them. So I made that great mistake of asking God to show me my pride. It wasn't really a mistake, but it was definitely life-changing. See, like a lot of the things that I do, I feel like most of the time I have the right motive and the, the motive is to honor God and is to, to love people and encourage people. But there are always those secondary voices, those lower voices. And all of a sudden God started to, to take, to, to, to take the volume of those voices and hire the volume. And I just started hearing them a lot. So I started seeing that not everything I did, I did with the purest motives. So if I did someone something for someone, I I would sometimes look around to see if anybody were to see. Or if I if I want if I help someone, I wanted to have them express thanks to me. And I didn't realize uh, how much I desired those things, but it started to convict me and I started to see a lot of ugly in myself. You know, you know like like an iceberg how you see the top of the iceberg but you don't see a lot of things that's under it. I felt like as as I asked the Lord to reveal my pride, I feel like the water started to recede a little bit and I started to see the gook that was in my heart. And what it did, it, it, it actually humbled me. It led me to surrender my life to Christ more and recognize that I needed Jesus more than ever. I know I shared this a couple of weeks ago, but uh, when I first came to the Lord, there was a song that said, I need you more more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words can say. I need you more than ever before. I need you, Lord. 
And I felt like at that time, I didn't realize how much I really ne- needed God. I had a list of about three things that if God were to, to, to remove these things from my life, that I would be perfect and I would be just like Jesus. But I feel like the closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize how much I need him. The more I realize how much I'm really not like him. And what it does, it, it, it keeps me humble and it has me uh, just constantly wanting to surrender my life and allow him to live his life through me. So another thing that we see in this in in this uh, text is we see a lot of huge theological golden boulders, not nuggets, but boulders. But and and as we as we read the text, we have to realize that even though uh, Paul was teaching us a lot about Jesus, the whole point of the text was not necessarily just to know more about God. It was also meant to have us respond with surrender and with worship, and with the idea of wanting to be like Jesus. So the main word in this text is the word humility. It's talking about having the mindset of Christ, or the mind of Christ, or the the disposition of Christ, his tendencies, and his tendencies were to be humble. And one of the weird things is that when we speak about humility, when we speak about servanthood, this is something that the world looks at and frowns upon. This world teaches us to be uh, full of pride, to be brash, to be worried all about ourselves. We say it's a doggy dog world out, out there. And it teaches us to do everything that we have to do to step on whoever we have to step on in order to get what's mine and be out for ourselves. But we know that we live in a kingdom that's different. I would say that it's the kingdom that I've heard people say that we live in an upside down kingdom. But I dare say that the world is the one that's upside down. And and uh, this is the way that, that Jesus has called us to live. So anyway, we know that in the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians is mainly about joy and suffering. And he's writing to the to the church in Philippi. And at the end of chapter one, he's speaking about being unified with Christ, being one with Christ. So in order for us to truly be unified uh, with with Christ and to be unified with each other, we have to be one with Christ. To be unified with Christ is to know Christ. To be unified with Christ is to follow Christ. To be unified with Christ is to worship Christ, to surrender your life to Christ and to have the same mind as Christ or the same attitude, the same mindset. So unity is is one of the the highest possible spiritual motives that we can have as we live out our lives serving him. So to be in Christ, this should encourage us as believers to work towards being unified with him and to be unified with each other. Uh, Disunity is caused by selfishness and selfishness is produced by pride. So if this book is about joy, then Paul is teaching us that the only way for us to have true joy is not to be about ourselves, but to be like Jesus and to be about others. So the secret to joy is to have the mind of Christ and living the way that he wants us. So let's go back to uh, verse 3, and we're going to be reading verse 3 to 5. Verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having the mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ. So we have this mind through Christ when we are in Christ. There is this acronym that I learned a long time ago, 
And it sounds kind of cheesy and sounds like it's something for kids, but it's the truth. And the acronym is JOY. J, Jesus. O, others. Then comes you. So Jesus, others, and then you. Right? And this is the way that Jesus uh, teaches us to live. When it talks about selfish ambition, it's speaking about rivalry or strife. It's when we seek to gain at the expense of others. And also uh, conceit. Another another translation says vainglory, and it means having excessive pride in oneself and in one's achievements. So when we do things at the expense of others, or we think higher than ourselves than where we really are, Jesus is saying, "Do nothing out of let not let these things not be the motivation of why we do what we do, but what should be our motivation? Serving others, and even sometimes the good that we do." We do them with the, with the, with selfish motives. Sometimes we do we do things for people because we want people to do things for us, right? You know, like you say, "I love you." What do you expect? I love you too. But what happens if that person doesn't say that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or you do something you do something for someone you're expecting someone to do something back. You know, and, and a lot of times we do things for people because we want to be happy about what we did. And don't get me wrong. When we do things for people, there's a mutual uh, 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 fulfillment there. You know, I'm not saying that we don't get fulfilled that. But when the main reason why we do something is so that we can get something back, then we're not doing it with the mind of Christ. When we do things, we should do it uh, for someone else. So what does the Bible uh, call humility? A humble person, you know, biblically, is a person that yields himself to Christ and to his servant, uh, just like Jesus, and uses all that he has and all that he is to serve God and also to serve other people. Um, so others is like the key word in this passage, treating other people as more important than ourselves. So having the mind of Christ doesn't mean that you become a doormat. It doesn't mean that you're on, on demand for people. It doesn't mean that every time somebody wants something, you got to do it for them. It's talking about putting out other people's needs above our own preferences or, or our, our own needs at the time. So in the same way, Jesus is not a genie. He never did everything that everybody wanted for them. He knows what we need better than us. He doesn't always just give. He does what's best for us. Sometimes what's best for someone else is that you don't, that you say no. You know, I'm thinking about as, as a parent. Sometimes I love my kids. So that's why I say no sometimes. Sometimes what's best for us is that you correct someone. Sometimes what's best for us is that you are able to, to, uh, not necessarily do everything that someone wants. But thinking of others, that, that starts to flow from a life that's grounded in Jesus Christ. As we grow in our relationship with God, we start to have more of his mindset. And even our service to other people become, becomes a fruit that uh, grows out of our relationship with Jesus. He is our, uh, we, we, are, we are his and he is ours. And remember that, you know, as we said before, that pride is the opposite, and it kills humility. So when, when humility says others first, pride says me first. Uh, John Stott, the famous pastor, said, At every stage of our Christian development and every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy, and humility is our greatest friend. So the reality is that you know some of us might think, Oh, well, I'm humble towards God, but I just have pride towards people. But that's impossible. You know? As we are humble towards God, as we surrender to God, 
then we are, in, because of our surrender to God, we see our humility by the way that we are humble towards other people. So Jesus wants to build himself in us. Like I said, this is not just a bunch of a list of things. Oh, I need to do this for this, you know, to earn, uh, you know, a salvation or to earn a right place with God. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about that as we grow in Jesus, he starts to live out his life through us. And this life is a life of humility. We need to, to live a life that's focused less on getting and more on giving. Like, you know, we have our friends here that are missionaries. I'm sure that uh, their life has been a lot of giving. Everything is about giving for the sake of other people. You know, they're not thinking about what they're getting in return necessarily. And, you know, so we want to thank you for your, for your service and what you do for the body of Christ. Amen. So, anyway, so, anyway, so, uh, uh, we said before that right here there's a place where there's a lot of rich theology. After, after, um, Paul is, 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 is establishing that, that, that living a life after Christ is a, is a life of humility and having the mindset of Christ is a mindset of humility. He starts to bust out in a song. So he sings a song that a lot of uh, historians and theologians believe that this is a song that everybody knew. So just like if I was to, you know, sing a song, if you've been in church, if I start, if I'm preaching, I start singing, How Great Is Our God, you know, which is one of the most famous songs. Everybody knows it. He was quoting a song that everybody knew. Let's not get lost in the details. Like I said, at the end of the day, what Paul was trying to do was to use the character of Jesus to get us to do something and to move. So as we know him, as we come to him, and as we are saved by him, our reasonable response when we get to know him is to worship him, to value him above everything else, and to glorify him with our lives. Because isn't that, isn't that what a Christian is? You know, I tell people that just because you spend time in the garage, it doesn't make you a car. I think my brother told me that once, you know? So just because we spend time in church, it doesn't make us a Christian. To be a Christian is a person that, that, that values God, about, uh, Christ about everything, and to live, to live a life that follows after his example. And like I said, it's not that we do this on our own. Out of the relationship with God, we start to live this life. It's a, a, a life of humility and love. And we pursue to love one another. So like I said, he busts out in a song here. So as a worship leader, I love this. Because Paul was, was using a song to exalt Christ, number one. He was also using a song to teach the people about who Jesus is, his character, his glory. And he also was using this song to inspire adoration, surrender, and ultimate obedience to Christ. So this is what we do here at City Church Garland. We like to sing songs that are flooded with the truth of the word of God. You know, and so we can be exalt Christ, know how great he is, and then respond with lives of surrender. So this is what worship is all about. You know, what we see is in, 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 this, in these verses, we see the fullness of God come together and just collide. And all of his character collides at the cross. We see his power, his wisdom, his humility, his sovereignty, his justice, and his love. And when all the smoke clears, we see a people that were once separated uh, from God by their sin were now given a place where they can come to God the Father through Jesus Christ. So we were all separated by our sin, but now through Christ, we, are, we have been restored to our Father. So the point of singing songs on Sunday morning is not to sing. The point of singing songs is that the truth of the songs will stir up awe, they may stir up wonder, praise, appreciation for what God has done, that it may stir up uh, surrender and affection and love for Jesus. 
So there's my, my worship leader uh, pitch that I'm just going to, you know, stay there. But still, seriously, when we sing these songs, this is what it's all about. It's not just to sing these songs. We want these, the truth of these songs and knowing who God is to transform our lives and to cause us to live lives of surrender, being just like Jesus. So the second point is that Jesus laid his glory aside. Verse 6 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. What does this tell us? This tells us that Jesus is God. He is God. He existed from eternity past and to eternity future. According to John 1, he created the world. According to Colossians 3, it says that all things were created by him and for him. When the word uses this phrase in the form of God, it's not saying an outside appearance. It's speaking of, it's not speaking about the outer shape. It's speaking about the essence, that he was the same essence of God or the same inner attributes or the same nature of God. In other words, that the, the unique qualities that make God God, Jesus is and Jesus has. So Jesus is God. He is of the same substance. So he was equal with the Father. He was up there in heaven. He was receiving all glory. But yet he chose to, to, to set aside some of his glory to come down and to serve us. So here in church, we easily say that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, and we know that. But for the first, like, 500 years of the church, this was the biggest point of contention. People argued about, was he God and not man? Was he man and not God? Was he God and just appeared to be a man? And all these heresies started to, to break out during this time. So a group of church leaders came together and they hammered out some language, which we call a, confect, a confession. And this is the beginning of the, the, the Nicene Creed. It says, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all this, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. So in other words, Jesus was God. It says here in this verse that He, that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, that he did not count equality with God something that he should selfishly hold on to or to use to his advantage. Jesus didn't think of himself, but he thought of others. He did not think the privilege that he had of being God, but he, what he did was he gladly laid aside whatever he had to do in order to serve us. He lowered himself and became a human to meet our deepest need. And our deepest need is salvation from our sins. Jesus didn't see being God as grounds for getting but he saw it as grounds for giving. How, what happens when a person has absolute power in a place? They use their power to receive. They use their power to serve. Jesus, as God, used his power to serve us. And that's the difference between Jesus and us. And um, there's a, a thing out there called cat and dog theology. I don't know if, if anybody's ever heard it. I know Terry's not going to like this one as a cat fan. But anyway, so they say that dogs... They look at us and they say, man, this person feeds us. This person cares for us. This person buys us toys. This person must be God. And they say, the cats say, this person feeds us. This person takes care of us. This person loves us. I must be God. <laughs> so that's the difference between a dog and a cat. So you got to ask yourself, when we see what God has done for us, what does it do to us? Does it, do we feel that we are more important? Do we feel like God is here 
to serve us or, or, or he is to serve us. But do we see that God is here just to make us happy? No. He's here to serve us, to give us what we need. And in that same way, we respond by serving other people when we have the mindset of Christ. Let's look at the difference between the mindset of Jesus and the mindset of Adam. Adam had all that he needed. He was the king of God's creation. And Satan told him, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. Jesus was God, but he lowered himself to become a man. Adam rebelled against God and rejected God's word. Jesus humbly submitted to the Father in perfect obedience. Adam grasped after something that was beyond his reach and his purpose, and he plunged humanity into sin and death. Jesus gave his life. He overcame all temptations, and he died for us. And through him, it's available for everyone to be able to come to Christ for salvation. So, like I said, there's a difference between Jesus and Adam. And why did Adam do it? Because there was someone else that did everything that Adam did before, and that was Lucifer. So Lucifer, when he tempted Adam and Eve, I wonder if he was just saying, man, I got kicked out for what doing this. Because God loves this creation. I want them the same thing to happen to them. And that's why he tempted uh, Adam and Eve with this. A lot of times it's hard for us to feel like we have to hold on to our rights as human that we think that we as human beings. But if we were to serve one another with the same attitude, we will all live a, a more fulfilled life. Even even think about it in marriage. If two people were to serve each other, one was serving the other and the other one was serving the other one. I mean, think about it. Every argument, everybody that's married here, every argument you have gotten in, uh, I mean, I don't argue with my wife at all, but I know everybody else does. Not <laughs> every, every argument that you've ever gotten into, either one person's being selfish or both people are being selfish. And probably 99% of the time is both people. So there's a selfishness breaks unity. And selfishness is the opposite of the humility of Christ. So just think about if we were to serve one another with Christ's humility, just think about the joy that we would have even in our, in our own households. Amen? So, so you know, what, and, and we, we're talking about having the mind of Christ, humility. Jesus gives us practical teaching on how to, have the, how to do that. And we call these the one another's of Scripture. So the Bible says that we are to prefer one another. The Bible says that we are to edify and build up one another. The Bible says that we are to love one another. The Bible says that we are to bear one another's burdens. The Bible says that we are not to judge one another. The Bible says that we are to admonish one another. So Jesus gives us great examples in his word. And because of these examples, this is why the church, the body of Christ, has been the leader in establishing charities throughout the history of the world, establishing benevolent organizations, and establishing hospitals. Because Jesus teaches us to serve people. And he was that example for us. And how did he show that example? The next verse that we're going to be looking at in verse 7, it says that Jesus became a servant. So by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, So Jesus thought of himself, uh, he thought of others before he thought himself. He He went from heaven to earth, from glory to shame, from master to servant, from life to death. So he didn't exchange being God, but what he did, he took on humanity. So he set aside for his for a moment his heavenly glory, the heavenly glory of being face to face with the Father, and he set aside his independent authority during his earthly ministry. But he never stopped being God at the time. He was God and he became man. And this is a, a, something that, that he's taken on for eternity now. 
When he became a man, now he's 100% God and 100% man. One of the, an example that I saw is that there was a, an African tribe. And there was a chief. And I, it seems like all my examples are about tribes and chiefs, I think. But So there was an African tribe and there was a chief. And the chief was the strongest man in the tribe. And the chief wore a headdress and he wore a ceremonial robes just to show that he was the chief. There was a servant and one of his servants fell into a well and he broke both of his legs and he was stuck down there. And other people were trying to help him, but he couldn't, but they couldn't help and they weren't strong enough. The man himself was trying to do it himself, but because he had broken his leg, broken legs, he was unable to climb out. So they let the chief know uh, that there was one of the servants there. So the chief walked over, he saw his servant there in pain. He took off his headdress and he took off his robes. He laid them down and he climbed, climbed down into the well. He put the servant on his back and he climbed out of the well and he saved the servant. We, we can pretty much see what the picture is that we're speaking about here. Jesus did for us what no one can do. Jesus did for us what we couldn't even do for ourselves. Jesus used his power to save and no, no one could, but Jesus could do what he did for us. So we are the man in the well and we are the ones with the broken legs. And the man in the well, he might have done something wrong to fall in there or maybe he, at, the, at the least he just failed at what he was trying to do. But this didn't matter for the chief. The chief went down there and saved him. So, you know, according to the Bible, the Bible says that we're born dead in our sins. So uh, Jesus humbled himself, left heaven, became a human, lowered himself, and the creator of the universe did for us what only he can do, and that's to save us from our sin. It says here that he took on the form of a slave. In John 13, Jesus shows one of the greatest examples of of servanthood. He was with his disciples in the upper room, and he started to wash their feet, which is something that only the slave of the household did. So he washed their hard, stinky, dirty. I mean, just imagine that at that time. Everybody wore sandals and everybody had a camel. So we can imagine what's on people's feet during that time, you know? So he did this and he served the people, he served his disciples and washed their feet. Also in Matthew uh, 20, verse 26, he said, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among, among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In this, ups, in this kingdom that, that's different than the world, when everyone's looking to be served out there, Jesus said that whoever serves will be the greatest among us. And he said that the last will be first, and the first will be last. So Jesus came and he served, and the greatest service that he did was that he died on the cross for us. So Jesus laid down his life, Verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So his whole life was marked by humility. He was born in a manger. He grew up in a little town called Bethlehem. He had 30 years where pretty much nobody knew him. But then his next years, he started using them to love the unloved, to love the poor, to heal the sick, and to spend time with the sinners and the rejected in society. And he died on a cross next to two criminals. He was mocked, he was spit at, and he hung there on the cross practically naked. And he laid down his life for us. He took our place, the, the penalty that we were supposed to receive for our sins, he took. 
He took our sins on his back. The perfect, righteous son of God died for a bunch of sinners like you and me. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who by the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It says here, for the joy that was set before him. So it was Jesus' joy to die for you. It doesn't mean that he didn't suffer pain because we know that he did. All of us have seen the passion of the Christ. (laughs) He was beaten, he was mocked, he was whipped, and he bled, and he was nailed on the cross because no one else was able to save us. We weren't able and not able to save ourselves, but Jesus did it for us. Many are willing to serve when it doesn't cost them something. But once there's a price to pay, they're out. Jesus became obedient to the point of death and served us to the point that he died for us. So when we have the mindset of Christ, we're not necessarily avoiding uh, sacrifices. If there's a reasonable, a reasonable price to pay, then we would be willing. Sacrifice and service go together. And as we are united to Christ, we live in unity with him. We follow him. We have his mindset and we also share in his joy and experience his joy. And the way that we experience joy is by sacrificing for others. Like I said before, Jesus created the world. He created the world to work that way. He created us to function in that way. But when we do things and we think that we're wiser than him, that's when we tend to jack things up. Jesus glorifies the Father. Verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The greatest goal in all that we do eventually is to glorify God. In humility, we do nothing for our own glory but we do things for the glory of God. Jesus humbled himself and, the God, and, and God the Father has now highly exalted him and the result is that God receives glory. He came down as a servant and he gave his life as the ultimate sacrifice and laid his life for us. He allowed himself to be humiliated and to suffer a humiliating death. But he resurrected. 40 days later, he ascended back to his place of victory at the right hand of the Father. The Father has given him the name that is above every name. So the main point of Jesus' humiliation and his exaltation was for God to be glorified by it. So God is glorified when sinners are saved. And in salvation, we see God's power. We see his justice, his righteousness, his wisdom, his sovereignty. And most of all, we see the love of God. So this amazing salvation is pretty dope, right? It's amazing. But ultimately... Everything that was done is done for God's glory. God gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus is Lord. And this was one of the first confessions of the church. Jesus is Lord. For us, is nothing. But at this time, you would get killed for saying that. If you said that someone was Lord besides Caesar, you would get killed. But the church was so convicted about Jesus being God. And because of all that he did, because he died for them and showed, showed his love to them, that they were willing to die for that. It also says over here that every, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. So we can do that today in salvation and in joy and with life, or we can do that one day in judgment. Either way, 
every single person that has ever been born will confess that Jesus is born, that Jesus is Lord. Every single person. We could do it in joy and in, and in love right now, or we could do it in agony. And that's up to us. Even someone like Hitler today knows that Jesus is Lord. And I say this not as a joke, but even sadly, Stephen Hawking today knows that Jesus is Lord. He's a believer today. Unfortunately, on the other side. So while we're here, we have the ability to declare him as Lord of our lives now and not in, in, in life and in salvation and in joy, but not in judgment. And that's, all, that's all up to us. Like as, as, I, as I was saying before, this is not a blueprint to how we should live our lives necessarily. It teaches us how to live, but we need to understand that we live this out by being joined to Christ being unified with Christ. Like I said, He is the head. We are the body. It's not a bunch of a list of things that we need to do in order to, to have God's favor because the truth is that none of, one, none of us really deserve the love of God. But He loved us enough to come and to die for us and to give His life for us. We are to serve others like He served others. We are to put ourselves to the side, not making ourselves more important than others. And um, the, ultimately, our response is, is, is worship by living for Him. So we are the body, we are united, we, are humble, we, we humble ourselves before him. And um, the way that we do this is by giving our lives to him and, and living for his glory. So just a couple of uh, application points here. Surrender your life under the lordship of Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is always right. He knows the way that life works. So we would do well to surrender our lives to him. Also, be honest about your own struggles with pride. Allow yourself to be convicted by the Holy Spirit when pride rises up in you. And what to do? Don't deny it. A lot of times we don't like to see the ugly, but seeing the ugly in us should drive us to our knees and help us to humble ourselves and come to God in repentance and ask Him to help us. Also, grow in your relationship with God. Philippians 1.11 says that the fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. We are not called to do these things and to be this way on our own strength. As we get closer to God, he starts to build himself up. He starts to build himself up in us as we become more and more like him. So also, look for opportunities to serve others and do it. Let love be the motive, not selfish ambition, not credit, but do it because you love God and you love others. Let's be worshipers and glorify God in all that we do. And we're going to just respond with a, with a song here, To Be Like You. Sir. Sure. 